When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's the Monday show with myself, Andrew Musgrove, and our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. Coming up this week, Newcastle United make it three Premier League wins on the bounce, seeing off Burnley 2 0 at St James's Park. It's the perfect result and performance heading to Wednesday's Champions League clash with PSG. But is it the first time a wave of expectancy has come over at St James's Park? I'll explain more about that train of thought later in the show. Professional, clinical, and for some, as I say, though, a little bit expectant. And that's perhaps something we're all going to have to get used to in the future with Newcastle United. We'll be praising Sean Longstaff, Elliot Anderson, and of course, Anthony Gordon, because it's today, Monday. That's what we do on this show. It's time to get on with it. Aaron, you doing well? I am. Thank you very much. Good win on Saturday. Monday, Sean, a Monday. Champions League back on Tyneside. What's not to be happy about? It's a busy week, isn't it? It is a busy week. And we'll have a busy week of podcasts coming up for you as well, looking ahead to that PSG game. Um, and then hopefully a, a, a nice one on Thursday, looking back on a victory for Newcastle United. As I mentioned there in the introduction, Aaron, a real professional performance by Newcastle United. Goals from Miguel Almiron and Alexander Isaac. It felt, though, that Newcastle never really had to get out of first gear to, to get the victory. No, it was very sort of comfortable, um, you know, nothing too flashy. I thought, you know, Burnley, you know, really didn't. Um, offer Newcastle United a lot of, of lot of trouble at the back. I thought they just needed to do what they needed to do, got the win. And look, you know, we saw a very similar performance against Liverpool earlier in the season and they didn't manage to see it through. So, yes, it wasn't, you know, flashy. Yes, it was comfortable. Yes, they just sort of got the job done. But that's the main thing, they got the job done. I said they didn't really have to get out of first gear. There was a, a brief panic in the uh, the opening uh, few moments when Nick Pope had to make a save from um, Dooney. But after that, Newcastle United in, in total control. And I just want to start firstly on Nick Pope because, again, he's had very little to do. But when he's called upon, there was that save. There was a save late in the second half. He just steps up and does it. And to be that switched on and that focused, you know, I know he hasn't made the England squad and he's had a bit of a shaky start to the season. But he, he seems to have kind of risen to that challenge. And again, you know, he's only had, what, two, maybe three saves to make in that game, but really good saves, really important saves. And he's shown why he's Newcastle's number one. Yeah, absolutely. I think since the the return of club football after the recent international break, which, as you say, he didn't get called up for, I think we've seen a much better Nick Pope. I think we've seen a better Newcastle United in general, much more solid at the back. Um, and the start of the game against Burnley, I mean, there was... So a similar moment against Brentford last weekend where they won 1-0, where Nick Pope had to make a really early save from Aaron Hickey and he's done the same again against Burnley. And as you say, you know, in the grand scheme of things, those saves can easily be forgotten when you go and win 2-0, you know, with not much else to really do at the back. But, you know, that would have been a huge turning point in the game if they hadn't stopped that. I thought I thought he was good again when he when he was called upon. Yeah, he certainly was. And then the goal came from Miguel Almiron, a superb strike. Kieran Trippier, though, forcing the mistake. And as soon as Almiron got that ball at his feet, there's only one place he's put in that top corner. A really, really excellent finish. 
you know, what, what more can he say? It, it seemed to be also a little bit of a nod to the critics, and I'll include myself in that. Maybe he watched last week's episode when I handed my resignation of the of his fan club. What a strike! And we, we, you know, I can't wait to see more of that from him. Well, are you are you revoking your resignation, or are you are you sticking to it? I think you know. I would like to hold on to my position as the chairman oh, of of okay. of the fan club, but I understand that I've probably crossed the line uh, with the things that I said and suggested about uh, Almiron's place in in the starting uh, lineup uh, for the Sheffield United game. Um, and with a goal like that, I will happily eat my words. Well, that's very interesting. I did think you were a little bit premature, you know, throwing the throwing the hat in last week, but. Good to see that you're sticking to your principles. Look, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good performance from Miggy again. I think again he's improving. I think, I mean, you know, we say it every week, but the work that he delivers is, is sort of unmatched. And I think he's got to start on Wednesday because you know he will hand Kieran Trippier a lot of help in dealing with Killian and Batman going backwards. Um, interesting goal from Miggy. He's just got this habit now of scoring absolute worldies. But it looked like he didn't want to have a go. You know, when he picked, first picks that ball up against Trippier and the crowd are sort of virgin to shoot, he looks like he's looking for that pass, doesn't he? And then he thinks, you know what, I, I, I've scored a couple from yeah in the last two seasons, I'll have a go. That's what the confidence does to you. You know when he gets in that kind of position, he's going to pop one in the back of the net. And it was interesting because I think that goal says a lot about Burnley. You know, you're meant to have done your homework. You know, you're putting days and hours on the, on the training pitch and the build-up to the game. And what's the one thing you don't do with Miguel Almiron? It's you do not show him onto his left. And they went and did that, did it twice, and they were punished for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even just a moment before that goal, you know, what else do you not do around Kieran Trippier? And that's Dordle on the ball. And I mean, it was a fantastic tackle to set up the assist. But if I'm completely honest, I think before that goal, it was quite an even game. I don't think Newcastle had sprung it to life at all. We t- just touching it a little bit off air that the atmosphere, especially in the first 20 minutes, was just a little bit flat. Um, and it wasn't until that goal that Newcastle really kicked on, I thought. Do you know, with the atmosphere, because it is a big talking point, it's been a big talking point over social media, I didn't really feel the atmosphere picked up until Alexander Isaac's penalty went into the back of the net. And then it seemed to be kind of a, a, a release of emotion. I think... Everyone had just had their mind focused on PSG, but they didn't want to kind of convey that before Newcastle United were comfortably in the lead. And then as soon as they were, it then changed. There was the chant and the cheering. Um, but even afterwards, Newcastle United have won 2-0, three Premier League wins on the bounce, five clean sheets. It just felt a bit subdued. And I, I was I was trying to put my finger on it. And, I, and I'm just wondering whether it's just a sign of Newcastle being a good team. A, a, a rubbish team with all due respect to Burnley have turned up. Newcastle United have overwhelming favourites. They're on a good run of form. They're at home. They've just dumped the, the champions out of, of of the League Cup. You've expected to win. Now, being a Newcastle United fan of a good old age that I am, you also expect Newcastle to mess up and step wholly onto that banana peel and go head over backside. But they didn't. And I'm just thinking, are we now at the point where we can actually say, do you know what? Newcastle United do what you expect a good team to do, and that is to beat the rubbish teams that come to you at home. And, and, and we're just going to have to get used to that feeling. Yeah, there's a remarkable start on Twitter, and, I, and I, I probably won't get this spot on here, but it's something like 580 days since Newcastle lost at home to a team not in the big six. It's a huge record, and as you say, it just goes to show that, I mean, 
I mean, last season especially, how many of these lower teams in the league were getting absolutely, you know, handed a demolition at St James's Park? Up, just going back to the atmosphere for me, I was sat there in the first fifteen minutes when Newcastle weren't playing very well, and I was just thinking, you know, where's the where's the buzz? Where's the chanting for the tackles? Where's anything? Um, and I think it's a couple of things. I think one, no disrespect to Burnley, but I think it's the opposition. I think. You know, if that had been maybe a City or an Arsenal, we would have seen a much bigger thing. I think obviously you've got fans thinking about PSG and just the excitement about that. And I also think one of our colleagues said to me last week in the office that he'd never been more confident that Newcastle United were going to win on Saturday. I think it was just one of those games where, as you say, you went to the game thinking Newcastle should really win this. You know, we probably don't need to be on our A game in the crowd. And that goes back to the point I was making. How often does that actually happen? Like, I don't think I've gone to a game and, and overwhelmingly thought Newcastle United are going to win this. I mean, look, you you, you play like so Brentford or Aston Villa and I you know, good teams, but with Burnley, yeah, I expected them to win and they did it. And had the referee blown the whistle once he's out, put the ball in the back of the net, I don't think a single person inside that ground would have minded. They would have gone home and said, right, let's focus on Wednesday. And it, it's a bit of a weird feeling, but I think I think when you when you get down to it, it is a compliment for Newcastle United and it is a mark of, of, of where they are at now. Are at, at now. You know, like I say, it's not going to be an exciting end-to-end game against the Burnley because, quite frankly, it shouldn't be. Exactly, and and unlike you know regimes gone by, they don't need to go at these games and really beat Burnley. Yes, they should. Yes, Newcastle United fans want them to, but it's not a relegation scrap where they're both fighting down the bottom. As you say, it's not going to be a nice even end-to-end game. It should really on paper be a Newcastle United comfortable win, which it was. Could have been more. Could have been more than two. Um, so, yeah, I think just move on and get PSG out of the way. And it's interesting because with that in mind, if that's how I'm feeling watching from the terraces and you know, you guys listening can uh, can maybe let me know how you guys are feeling. I, I wonder what it was like in the dressing room and just how hard of a task Eddie Howe had to make sure that the complacency, for want of a better phrase, that maybe was was slipping into the terraces didn't slip into the, the dressing room. I think the one thing with Howe is you always get, you know, from him anyway, he's never looking any further than the game that's in front of him. He tries to instill that on the players, but I mean, you know, let's be honest, you know, for Dan Byrne and Sean Longstaff and Elliot Anderson, I don't think they'll have been, you know, fully focused on Burnley, knowing that they're potentially making their St James' Park debut on Wednesday in the Champions League. Well, I think you saw it once that the second goal went in and it was about just passing it on the back. Yeah. And on one hand, you said, you know, they were very professional the way they saw the game out. You know, just running down the clock with the passes, and but no one was breaking sweat. No one was going to gamble on trying to get a third because they didn't want to pick up an injury. I mean, Bruno went down it a few times, and you thought he's definitely wanting to come off here and protect himself because, you know, this is PSG. With all respect to the Borussia Dortmund and AC Milan, this is the one you want mm-hmm. to play. And also, you know, sometimes you can question whether players truly understand what it means, but. We know that you don't just sign here at Newcastle United. You don't come to St James Park just because you're a talented player. You need to get the history and the culture. These players know this is 20 years in the making mm-hmm. and what an occasion it's going to be on Wednesday. So that's why they took the foot off the gas and they just, you know... I mean, they got through it. Burnley didn't really... T- I mean, some teams might have taken advantage of that, Well, actually. that's what I was just waiting to say there. Burnley, you know, didn't make them need to step out of that gear, you know. Awful. They were, they were really bad, really bad. Truly awful, and I am. I, I mean, I think they're going down for on on the evidence of what, of, of of what we saw. But yes, I mean, I mean, the, the penalty. Um, Anthony Gordon goes down. We've had a bit of discussion off camera about it. Was it a penalty? I mean, he, he does take Gordon, mm-hmm. and then Isaac does as, as as you would expect him to do, and put it in the back of the net. Yeah, I, I, 
I've heard a couple of people saying that they thought maybe it, it shouldn't have been a penalty. The, you know, the defender does get a little touch on the ball, but I think you see his trailing leg absolutely wipes going out. For me, it was a penalty. Um, and good to see Isaac step up so confidently, get back amongst the goals. Um, and as you say, at that point, you know, job done. Yeah, job done. I mean, important Isaac keeps getting on the score sheet cause to pick his confidence up. He's not at the best the starts to the season. And Elliot Anderson as well. And I know you said there, you know, they're not really going to maybe get out of the first gear because they've got a chance of starting against PSG. But I felt it was a big afternoon for Elliot Anderson because of, of the three positions in the midfield, his is the most under threat. I mean, Longstaff is the key to Bruno and Bruno is the talisman. So them two, other than injuries, are going to start on Wednesday. And it's Anderson, I think, is most at risk. Now, he's been boosted in a warped kind of sense because of Joe Linton's injury. So that's one option out the window. Tonali... You know, he came on and you know he was 100% success rate in passes. He only had 12, but he got all 12 against uh, Burnley. So, but again, he didn't really have to do much. I mean, that's the that's the the, the question we're going to be on about. Is it Tonali or is it Anderson? And I think Anderson, if he doesn't start on Wednesday, he can feel so hard done by because, yes, he didn't get a goal, but it was a fantastic save. I've seen a lot of people saying that should have been in the back of the net. But when you watch it again, in my view, that is a tremendous save. Yeah. There's nothing more... Elliot Anderson can do than what he's done. Diving header, it's a fantastic reaction save from Trafford. Take that aside, it's the only thing that's missing from his game is goals, but he's getting in the positions, he's been unfortunate, goals disallowed, off the woodwork. But look at him, man, up and down the pitch, gets his foot in the tackle, he can pick a pass, he's got energy, desire, want to go forward. He's got to start on Wednesday. I thought that was one of his best performances of the season. Yeah. I thought he was... I thought. If, if I'm completely honest, I thought he was up there with Trippier and Gordon as Newcastle's best player on Saturday. And I was a little bit surprised that Eddie Howe, one, chose to take him off of all the three midfielders and two, actually chose to put Joe Linton on, knowing that he's just came back from this injury. Yes, he was fantastic at uh, Man City. but So I was surprised to see Anderson come off. Funnily enough, I've just literally about to write a piece for five o'clock today on who I think should start. And for me, it's Anderson over Tonali. I think, as you say, I think... Tonali's a weird one, isn't it? Because he came in and he, he had that below-par tour in America for me. Barnstorming debut against Villa, and then we've sort of seen little bits from him. But I think if you're looking for consistency, I think I think Anson's delivered a little bit more of it this season. I think he's earned it. He's earned his start. Peter says he thinks Sandro will start on Wednesday. We've got to kind of phrase saying both Tonali and Anderson will be getting game time. And to kind of phrase also agrees with you, Aaron. It was a bit foolish to play Joe Linton. Now it's a hamstring injury, that is right. So maybe the international break will come at the right time for him. I mean, he had a brilliant performance against Manchester City, but then to be, I mean, yeah, it's a big blow, isn't it? I mean, we're going we're to find out more tomorrow when we go and speak to Eddie Howe because, you know, when we spoke to him on Saturday night, he literally only heard from Joe Linton that he felt his hamstring. We don't know severity. He, you know, for all we know, Joe Linton might be available for Wednesday, I mean, it would probably look unlikely given the way he came off. But if Jolinton's out, and I, I agree, I think it's Bruno Longstaff and one of Anderson Tonali, and for me, it would be would be Elliot. And Big Joe, if you're watching, I suffer from hamstring injuries myself, and I know the pain. <laughs> so I've got you. I've got you back. Don't worry. Don't rush back. It's the last thing you want to do. Um, from one rubbish footballer to another. No, you're a good footballer. <laughs> Sorry, wrong term of phrase there. But yes, the midfield's the really interesting one, isn't it? Um. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be Longstaff, Bruno, and um, Anderson. Now a word on, on on Bruno. People were very impressed with his performance. Back to his best. 
Well, this is this is the part of the podcast that I've been looking forward to more. And you know, I mean, obviously, I look forward to all of it. But very interesting sort of split of opinion on Saturday night when we were texting after the game. I thought that was you know Bruno back to his best. I thought he was in the first half. Him and Trippier were were levels above. And I thought second half it was a nice composed performance. We had a bit of showboating in there. We had some killer passes in there. You, on the other hand, not not quite so sure. I think he had a I think he had a good game. I think. The, the text that you're talking about, I mean, we might need to make this a, a regular weekly segment, the the uh, the text of the week. The text you're talking about, it, 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 I said that you need to stop doing the, the flashy things. Oh, hang on, I'm going to get it. You're going to read the whole thing Just to make sure out. that you're not... You're not um... from, from memory, I said you need to stop doing the, the flashy things. And you've mentioned showboating there. It, it, it is... It's a matter of, of opinion and preference. I'm not a big fan of showboating. I like the simple passes. Yeah, you said Bruno needs to be st- to stop trying to be clever. I, I'll put that into context because it was literally in the last 10 minutes when Newcastle had taken the foot off the gas and were probably at the most vulnerable. And I say that knowing that Burnley were never going to hurt them. But if it was a decent team, as we've mentioned, they maybe would have been you know penetrated at that point when they are the most vulnerable. And there was a couple of... There was one pass where he's, he's got his... He, I think Trippier plays it into him and he, he's got his back to the way Newcastle are running forward and he tries it with the outside of his left foot over his shoulder and he just kicks it out of play on the halfway line. And, and I know Newcastle are two up. I know Burnley aren't threatening, but for me, it was just, just just don't do that. I know what you mean, though, because you've you've only got to go back to the Liverpool game in the last minute when he's doing that stupid outside-the-foot pass to try and find a winger and Nunes goes and scores from it. So I, I do get what you mean. But, I mean, maybe it was the fact that I just had my head buried in my laptop. I, I didn't really notice that sort of end of the game. But that was it. I mean, there was nothing really noticed about the yeah. end of the game, but that, that's what that, that that's text what, was okay. built in. in. terms of the whole game itself, he is back to his best. He's, he's, he's absolutely electric. He's driving the team forward. You know, he's, he's, just, he's, just, he's just a very, very good player. And I have a, I have a sneaky little suspicion we're going to get a contract announcement. It's got to be soon. Tomorrow. You think tomorrow? I think tomorrow. I think I think they're going to go with the idea of just ramping that crowd up a little mm. bit more. I don't. I haven't heard it, but it's just my gut, gut instinct, good feeling. But yeah, it's just again, it's just personal preference. There was a moment when they were attacking the box, and he tries a little flick through the legs, and I think a simpler one-two would have worked. But maybe I'm just a, a, a boring football fan no I don't think so I think you're, you're you know entitled to your opinion and if you don't want to see him doing the flashy stuff you don't want to see him doing the flashy stuff me on the other hand I like a good showboat when you tune it up and, and it was all fine for me uh, Sean says Eddie Howe's done a great job with the team Gordon is just getting better and better what a player Anderson is getting better and better too Longstaff Bruno and Anderson start on Wednesday there's rumours that Real Madrid are sending people on Wednesday to watch Bruno and he's that look Newcastle United have got fantastic players in the squad and we mentioned that at the start, we're going to have to get used to Newcastle doing what good teams do, and that's beating the bad teams. We're also going to have to get used to the better teams and you know, looking at Newcastle's better players. And when you are as good as Newcastle are, and you are, you are let, let, if you put it in levels, that's in Newcastle's second tier now in terms of the best teams in Europe. The only teams above them are your Real Madrid's and Barcelona's, and they're going to want Newcastle's best players. It's something that Eddie Howe, the transfer team, the owners, the fans, us as journalists... We're just going to have to get used to talking about and, and accepting it's going to happen. And at some point, unfortunately, Newcastle probably will have to, will have to sell one of their better players. Yeah, and, and but that's for me, I mean, I know it can sound on the, on the face of it a scary thing and all doom and gloom, but it's not because look at what this transfer team and Dan Ashworth have done with limited funds 
you know, imagine what they could do with, you know, a big lump sum if they sell someone like Bruno Nizak. And that's not my saying they should, but I don't think, you know, these players are completely irreplaceable. And I think you only have to look at West Ham and what they did when they sold Declan Rice over the summer, £100 million in, they got... Edson Alvarez, Mohamed Kudus and James Ward-Prowse in an entire new midfield for the price of one. And this is why you know Bruno's contract and, and other contracts that will come down the line are so key because you can get those big release clauses in to make sure people aren't you know undercutting you further down the line. But look, it, I, I feel like we talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. This is why it's so key that they finish in the top four again or at least the top six. They need to keep playing European football Otherwise, these players are going to go a lot sooner than we, than we want them to. Yeah, 100% agree with you on, on that. Uh, Peter says Bruno is a better player alongside Longstaff in the middle. It's not a surprise that he's been better in the four or five games that Longstaff has been back in the side. And again, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with Peter's point. Sean Longstaff is the key to Bruno Gomes performing at the levels that we know Bruno can. And what a turnaround for Sean. I know we go back to the days... Under Steve Bruce, when it looked like he was out the door, we could even go back to certain times under under um, Eddie Howe when he wasn't flavour of the month, and then all of a sudden he's out of the squad, and then Newcastle's midfield isn't clicking. You think they've just signed Tenali. What was the future hold for Longstaff? And it turns out he's he is the he is the, the important cog in the in, in the wheel. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm probably going to make a comparison that sounds a bit ridiculous on on the uh, outside, but I'm going not to, for the first time. But I'm gonna I'm gonna clarify myself and give some context Bruno playing alongside sorry. oh sorry I thought you were going to say something else there no. I thought you were going to mention Scott McTominay but we'll get no, to that in no, a second no 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 we don't need to get back onto that for me Bruno playing along, along alongside Longstaff reminds me of Shelby playing alongside Hayden because you had John Joe Shelby who in this case is Bruno Gomez, who's a quite a flashy player likes to pick the Hollywood ball and John Joe Shelby was always 10 times better when Isaac Hayden was in alongside him doing the hard work in certain midfield. And I think it's it's not exactly the same, but it's very similar over Longstaff. Longstaff does the gritty work, the running, the defending. He's so tactically aware. He's very, very good out the ball. And I think that just allows Bruno to maybe play his natural game. I don't think we've seen that yet when Bruno and Tonali are alongside each other. I'm going to say it's your age that you didn't go for something like, you know, a David Batty, Rob Lee. Well, yeah. See, this is where sh- this is where this is why this podcast works so well. You can dive back into the old days, and I'll do the the current well, relevance. Stuff. Do you know that on that? I've just put a video together um, with the help of some uh, popular Newcastle YouTubers, and two of them, two of them have both said they were not young enough, also uh, they're not old enough rather to remember Sir Boy Robson's Champions League adventures. And goodness me, doesn't that make me feel? Because <laughs> you're going to say exactly the same thing as well, aren't you? About you're going to agree with them. I mean, I, I can just about remember it. I think I was about seven or eight the last time they were in the Champions League. So I remember, I actually remember listening to Newcastle get knocked out against Partizan Belgrade on my little radio when I should have been asleep. So that goes to show how old I was. Back yeah, the, the good old wireless. But yeah, it's really interesting you make that comparison because people maybe forget that the Shelby Hayden partnership worked worked really well. I you know, obviously, in terms of a level of ability, you, you, you're nowhere near the same page, but in yeah. terms of them working for the Newcastle United that they were playing for, yeah, 100%, you can, I, can, I can kind of see where, where you're coming from. I mean, Longstaff, he's just, he just got everything about him, hasn't he? Like, and to see him as well, getting up and picking the right pass, you know, the Longstaff of old, he maybe wouldn't have picked that cross to Anderson. He would have, you know, hit the defender, he would have made the wrong choice. But that's the difference I'm noticing that 
He's making the right decisions now, and Newcastle are, are benefited from no end. Yeah, he's a lot smarter. He's a lot. As I say, the thing I notice weirdly is when he hasn't got the ball, he's just so aware of everything around him. He's so good at marshalling that midfield into position. We saw it a lot last season. I think we've seen it again this season. He's very, very good at making those late runs into the box. I noticed on Saturday that he was actually playing out on the right a lot. Him and Miggy were swapping at times. Miggy was sort of playing a bit more centrally and Longstaff was out there with Trippier. I think he's becoming really versatile. I'm just really happy for him because, as you say, you know he, he suffered such a, a tough time under Bruce, as so many of them did, and he's, and he's getting his rewards. And I think after... Um, Bruno's contract sorted. I think Longstaff will be the next to be announced. Longstaff next in line. Behind the, the scenes to be getting it done. Talks taking place at the minute. He only signed a new deal, if I'm not wrong, in 2022. But I think they're going to try and stick another few years on it with, with a little bit of a pay rise. So very, very good to see him. Very well deserved. Now, we mentioned last week, Garth Southgate should be looking at Sean Longstaff. Or, or rather, someone suggested Sean Longstaff should be in the England squad. And we both wrote it off because Garth Southgate just doesn't pick players that he hasn't picked before. What is it going to take, do you think, Garth Southgate to, to, to change? What's it going to take, Garth, to change your mind <laughs> and get Sean Longstaff into the squad? Um, it, It's hard for Longstaff, isn't it? Because I think, you know, us as Newcastle United fans know how good he is. I'm sure Gareth Southgate, given how much he watches Newcastle, does rate Sean Longstaff. But to the outside world and people who maybe aren't aware of Newcastle United and what they're doing at the minute, I don't think Sean Longstaff is this big, flashy name. If he suddenly starts to add goals to his game or assists, or I don't know, start to play a little bit more like Bruno, I think you'd be the clamour would grow. But I mean, look at Calvin Phillips, who, by the way, you know, seems undroppable for England and get Southgate, you know, just a bit like Harry Maguire. Watch him against Newcastle last week, watch him in the defeat of Wolves on Saturday, and you're thinking, how on earth is this man still getting in a team? And how Sean Longstaff not? So I mean, you know, if it was up to me, absolutely, get them all in. Uh, Craig says, Longstaff has been immense lately. Previously, he seemed to think he had much more time on the ball than he did and would dwell a little. It now seems he's processing options far quicker. And that hits a nail on the head. He did. He wanted so much time when he was on the ball and he'd get caught in possession. Uh, but he seems to have eradicated that from his game. He still does a little bit at times. There's times where you maybe just want him to move him on a little second quicker. But on the whole, he's got much, much better. Yeah, definitely. It's brilliant to see. And him, you know, walking out with the Champions League music playing on Wednesday would be some sight you'll want to be watching. If you're not in the ground, you'll want to be watching close on the TV for the emotion that uh, he may show. Although he did hide it well in the San Siro. He didn't, did. didn't, didn't break at all. Not like, like Jacob Murphy. <laughs> um, but it's one to watch. Um Anthony Gordon, we're going to run out of nice things to say about Anthony Gordon. On text, you text me saying, how fit is Anthony Gordon? Yeah. Because he does, he just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. I will clarify that that was me talking about his physical fitness and not how good he looks with that peroxide blonde hair. Not calling him fit in that sense. But I would love to see the running stats because, you know, this player... This is a player who was rested at Sheffield United because he's had a lot of games and maybe needed it. He comes in and plays 75 minutes against Sheffield United. He's the best player on the pitch. He then plays against City in midweek. And he's just played another... Did he, did he come off on? I don't even know if he came off I on I don't Saturday. think he did, did he? And he ran and ran and ran. And I just think, how is he still going? He's, he's absolutely ridiculous. He's, he's sort of becoming a little bit like Miggy off the ball in terms of the work rate he'll give you. You know, it's very, very good to see them having... Um, two wingers of the same sort of uh, determination on each wing. I think his pressing from the front is absolutely fantastic. Decision-making with the ball is getting much better. Um, 
But yeah, it's just his all round game's just just improved oh, overnight. It seems as well. Yeah, and you have got to praise the the staff for that, Eddie Howe, and, and Gordon himself as well, because we all know the troubles he had when he first arrived, and now it didn't quite click into place, you know. And, and most players, or some players, might go one direction, and you know, kick up a fuss and 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 get down the dumps and blame everyone but themselves. But what Gordon's done, he's just got his head down and worked really, really hard. And that I think I'd look any questions over his attitude and application are, are, are long gone. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's very very. It's a very interesting point when you think it was only six months ago, seven months ago when he was at Brentford having that paddy on the touchline about coming off. And I think, as Eddie Howe likes to say, sometimes these negatives can actually turn into a positive. And I think that absolutely was for him. It made him realise, OK, you know, I'm not at Everton anymore. I can't do this. I've, I've got to work to be in this team. Um, and again, like I said last week on the pod or the week before, he's undroppable. I don't, I don't care how tired Eddie Howe might think he is. If he's putting in performances like that off the ball on Saturday, I think he's... For me, he's 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 first name on the team sheet. Darren says surely Gordon's going to get an England in England call up this time he's around. He's got to. I mean, it was a real surprise he didn't last month. I think this month he, he's got to. Who's, he has to. Who's on that left wing? Then he likes to play, just play Rashford. Rashford outside. usually, yeah. But I mean, Rashford's out of form at the minute. I think I think Gordon gets in there. He should do really well, on merit. Definitely. I don't think. They, I don't think really. If you look at form wise, I mean, is there a better? Winger in the Premier League at the moment. No, form. not on form. I mean, another name that you know probably fills that England bill is, is Grealish, who you know was was kept very very quiet on in midweek. O- on form, he deserves to be in there, and I think you know, is shown at the under twenty ones over the summer will have done him no favors in terms of you know getting in around that senior side as well. Word for Jamal Sells as well called upon again, likely to start against PSG. You would think. Two good performances. Uh, I don't think Saturday was as good as the no. one against City. There was a few, for me, heart-in-the-mouth moments when he's let the ball bounce behind him. I mean, he's intentionally done it, mm-hmm. and then Trippi has come across and nodded it back to Nick Pope. But on the second one, I thought, goodness me, again. I mean, to be fair, it would have been a better size, you think, and the striker's just got to just step up, and he's got you there because you have let it bounce. And also, you let it bounce. It could spin back the other way, and then suddenly you're caught napping and it's, it, I thought it was a risky little move from Jamal but I thought again he put in a solid shift and look you'd want Sven Botman playing against Paris Sessioran of course you would he's your best centre back but I think Nacelles has done enough that I'm not I'm not crying about it like I'm not I'm not thinking oh god it's going to be a, it's going to be a cricket score I think we're showing against another clean sheet the, the defenders a unit rather than an individual and that's testament again to, to Eddie Howe and the staff that they've built a unit in, in which someone can just slip in. And de- attacking-wise, you might lose the pass from Botman, you might lose them short little passes he can do, LaSalle's not too common on mm. the boys' feet. But defensive-wise, I don't think it's as bad news as, as we maybe all expected it, it would be. I think if you rewound a couple of months ago and said, oh, Jamal Lascelles is going to start against PSG, there would be you know some moans and groans. But I think last two performances, he's really stepped up. It's funny you mentioned the passing because actually I wrote a piece about it on Friday. I thought his passing actually against Manchester City went really under the radar. He sets up that goal by playing the pass to Jacob Murphy. He was a couple of times. He picks up the ball and like plays a lovely ball through the midfield, cuts the lines open and how's praising on the sidelines. Funny enough, I thought his performance against City was actually better and Burnley, you would probably think it would be the other way around, but I thought he was really, really, really good midweek. I thought him and Dummett were fantastic. Um, he's definitely worked on that passing side, but as you say, there was a couple of moments on Saturday, he, he gave a hospital ball to Trippier in the, in the 
second half and Trippier ends up getting snapped by Charlie Taylor who got booked for it. There was a couple of times you thought, you know, maybe he wasn't thingy. But I was looking across that back line on Saturday midway through the game. Trippier, 32, 33. Jamal Lascelles, mm-hmm. 29. Fabian Cher, 30, early 30s. Dan Byrne, 30s. Nick Pope. It's a very, very experienced back line going into PSG. I mean, you could have made that point. You could have got their ages. You could have done your research. You know, come, you know what I mean? Solidly you know what I mean? They're all around your age. They're all getting on a bit. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, well, it's ironic that the, the younger man of the defence is, uh, is out injured with a, a muscle injury. You know all about that as well, don't you, lads? Yeah. So you can echo that with uh, Sven Botman. Um, Kieran Trippier, though, I know, impressed you. He was your man of the match, right? He was my man of the match. I thought first half, if I'm honest, I thought the full game, I don't think he really, you know, did anything wrong. I thought the... The assist, obviously, which we've talked about, was absolutely fantastic. Um, he's just got everything. And weirdly enough, I think he's getting better going forward. I thought second half, he was absolutely fantastic on the overlap with Kieran Trippier. Like a fine wine. Yeah, getting better with age. I mean, I don't drink wine, but that's what they say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's getting, what the, 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 he is getting better. And like you say, he is, what, 32, 33? And, you know, I mean, I made the, the bold prediction that Tino Livermento would, would start next season as, as Newcastle's number one uh, right back. I think I might have to retract that as well. Well, it's interesting because I know, obviously, you and Gibbo were talking about this the other week. Do you think it gets to the point where Livermento takes over Trippier and Trippier maybe yeah. moves to left back or no. you don't think it's, it's not in the at plan. all and look, you guys probably have seen the video or maybe heard, heard it on the podcast I mean John had a bit of a feisty discussion about right back and left back and as Aaron says Gibbo's suggestion was that you move Trippier to left back and you move Tino Livermento permanently at right back and Dan Byrne it goes off into the sunset now my argument is well actually you don't do that Dan Byrne for he isn't a left back you can't really count I mean you'll only need one hand to count the bad games he's had where he's really been caught out mm-hmm. I think he continues to impress he continues to uh, upset the critics by just putting in a shift you know again against Burnley there was once twice maybe he was caught out but actually he got back into position and, and, and stopped them from getting the ball in the box and what Kieran Trippier gives on the right hand side in terms of going forward in terms of helping Miggy you don't want to lose that like the reason Miggy has suddenly found form in the last year or so, a, a large percentage of that is having Kieran Trippier behind him, I think, in his ear, positional sense-wise. You don't want to... Look, as someone said to me on Twitter, if it's not broke, then you don't need to fix it. Mm-hmm. And no, for me, Kieran Trippier is at right-back. Dan Byrne remains at left-back until, until Lewis Hall's ready. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a reason we we haven't seen how do it. He hasn't even experimented with it as Southgate often does by putting Trippier on the opposite flank. Um, you know, very very telling that they went out and bought Lewis Hall as well. They clearly think that that's the the way to go rather than sticking Trippier out there. Um, so yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. And also, I just want to pinpoint we had a discussion a month ago in which I put a video out on Instagram, and the title was "Kieran Trippier will never play left back permanently for Newcastle United." And Kieran Trippier liked it. So I'm taking that as a nod <laughs> to that I'm right, okay? Um, we'll, we'll wait and see what the future holds. Uh, Graham says, our discipline needs to be worked on. Five cards by October, very poor. We can't afford to lose players for silly bookings in the current climate. That could cost us versus West Ham. Bruno also on four. With our injuries, our players need to think. If I'm not mistaken, Anthony Gordon yeah. misses West the next Ham. game. Part of me, and it's a little bit, it's the cynical part, thinks 
was that maybe done on purpose? Anthony Gordon, early in the first half, I mean, I know Sean Longstaff was fuming about the boot he got, but he kicks the ball away. He knows that is going to be a boot in. And I'm just thinking, does he maybe take the hit, misses the game for you at national break, and then he's back, he gets you know the clean slate. I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but I think it was, for a player on four bookings already, and he'll know he was on four bookings, it was a very, very stupid yellow card to pick up. He knows he's going to get booked for that by kicking the ball away. I don't know. Mm, I don't but know. I but I do agree with uh, sorry I can't see who's Graham. point but with Graham's point I think I mean you know to already pick up five bookings as a winger it is and, and as he says Bruno's on four again I'm you know so that's Bruno's game though isn't he yeah, silly little Bruno does n- niggles here and there a little foul but um, before we continue to talk about more Newcastle I want to have a word about the referee uh, on Saturday and that'll lead us into. The usual Monday rants about VAR because clearly if there is a God, he was not listening to my plea last weekend about just one weekend without VAR messing up. If he is listening, he's gone the total other direction and, and really messed up this weekend. But more on the, the general picture of VAR in a moment. The referee on Saturday, I felt for both sides, he was very, very poor. Mm. He's given silly little fouls uh, to either side in which the players totally bought it. And I just felt... It, yeah, it just was not a good game by the referee at all. He didn't really let the game flow, I don't think, did he? And, I mean, there's a there's a point that I noticed in the 90th minute, and I, I'm probably the only person that noticed it, but Charlie Taylor, who I just spoke about before, got booked in the second half for fouling Kieran Trippier. And in the 91st minute, um, he absolutely clattered Sean Longstaff. I mean, it was a, the clearest yellow card ever. He was late, he was high, and he fouls Longstaff. Now, the attack continues, so the referee sees it's Taylor, thinks, right, I'm going to go back to that, but I'm going to let the game play on first. Now, Charlie Taylor's really lucky that the ball then didn't go out of play for three minutes. So by the time the ball went out of play three minutes later, the referee forgot about the tackle, and Newcastle made a sub. Now, I know I'm going to sound really pedantic talking about it, because there were two and up, it was in stoppage time. It didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but... Charlie Taylor should have been sent off and, and he should have stopped the game there there to send him off. But he didn't. And and that, sorry, that was just a point that, that I noticed. But I agree with you. And if I'm completely honest, and I know this is going to make me sound... I mean, I'm meant to be a sports journalist. I'd never actually heard of Thomas Bramwell, the referee, before Saturday. Had you? No, I think it was only his, was it his ninth Premier League game, maybe. First time he's refed in Castle, I think. But I know I was about to stick the boot in. What did you make of, because a lot of fans were complaining about the Isaac attack, which was then brought back after a foul yeah, in the build-up. Yeah, I completely... You see, though, I... Because in, in my view, like he, he was clearly caught in two minds. He did look like a rabbit in the headlights at that point. But, but he lets it go, which I think is the right decision. But then why change your mind th- like five seconds later and actually pull it back? The, the attack hadn't died. But then if Isaac takes a shot in that moment and like that moment ends blocked... Then I think that I think that the free the chance of the free kicks over. Yeah, but then would he not be getting grief for not calling? But I, 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 I felt yeah. he was in a bit of a sticky position with that one. No, I think I think if he'd let let the chance go, which he did, and then let Isaac try and finish the move, I think you can't really complain if he then doesn't pull it back. But he didn't let them do either. He carried it on, and then he thought, actually, no, no, you know what, I'm going to bring it back. But Isaac still had the ball; he was still in a decent position. So, yeah. I, not not the not the best performances for me, I thought. Well, we thought he had a bad weekend. Oh, usually it's you rant about VR, but I was absolutely... Come and join the club. Ins- Come and join the club. I was fuming walking home from the ground after what I'd seen. I, I could not believe... I couldn't believe 
that they had given Luis Diaz's goal as as offside. Well, I thought it was just the wrong call. It wasn't until I woke up the next morning because I did. I, to be honest, I, I I couldn't really be bothered to follow it. And then I woke up the next morning, I saw the headlines, and then I then I caught up and I was like, I had to read it like three or four times. Like what? Like the so the VAR referee thought the goal had been given, given, and his word to the on-field referee was. Check complete, as in I've checked it. He's onside. Check complete. So then the referee on the pitch thinks that check's complete and he's offside. Now, I mean, one that is just baffling. How easy is it to say he's onside? Check complete. Do you know what I mean? Why? Why make it any more human error can happen vague than it needs to be? Why not though? Once you once you realised the mistake, why not just stop the game and say, oh, by the way, yeah, you. You've, you've, there's clearly been a miscommunication. Yeah. Well, apparently, there's some rule that means VAR can't pull the game back if it's like after 10 seconds after the decision or something, which again in itself is just. But it's there, but it's um, like that's, that's a ridiculous rule. That is a ridiculous well, rule. Honestly, usually you come in here on a Monday morning and you're ranting and raving and I sort of laugh and jump. Honestly, for the first time on Saturday, I was actually. I mean, that is, if VAR can't even get the simplest of. I mean, he was onside to the human eye. Do you know what I mean? Never mind getting the lines out. He, he was clearly onside. It was just... There's like five of them in a room, though. Why isn't someone going, oh, by the way, like, no, no, he's... You know, that's not what you're judging. You're judging yeah, whether he's onside. He's meant to have an assistant there with it. Honestly, yeah. Absolutely mind-blown. And, yeah, you know, you, so, feel, you, feel, you feel sorry for Liverpool in that instance because it was a perfectly good goal. Yeah. And you just you just worry going forward because... Look, I don't, I don't think it's a... a there's, there's often claims it's a conspiracy against you. It's not. It's not a conspiracy against Liverpool. It's not a conspiracy, it's not a conspiracy against, against anyone. It's is just it? rubbish yeah. officiating across which the needs board. Needs to be improved. For me, if you know VAR can get subjective decisions right, some people thought Curtis Jones should be sent off. Some people thought you shouldn't. You can have your debate about it. And VAR is probably not going to please everyone. But when they aren't getting simple offsides right, with those type of mistakes where they're miscommunicating, what? What hope do we have of them getting it right? It just, and what is this? The, what is the solution? I don't. I can't see I what the solution know. is. I don't understand either. I mean, we're we're, we're getting a bit off point. Though. I mean, surely we, we're going to get to the point where the Premier League and FA can buy in the best referees from across the world. Yeah, potentially. I mean, we obviously spoke to this with Henry Winter about this, didn't we, on the live event, and he was saying, you know, you need to fund grassroots refereeing better you need to put the funding in over here rather than having to buy referees from 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 further afield but you know you look at the standard of officiating some of the competitions the champions league especially where it's noticeably better week in week out this is happening hopefully well i mean i'm off next week so they can mess holy up on saturday of the ones hopefully that for the next uh, show that i am in we're not talking i'm sure we will be well it's an international break so i find it difficult yeah I mean, they'll probably they'll find, find a way. A way they'll find a way. Um, so just, we've talked there about ease out. We've talked there about Gordon. Now, Wilson didn't play against City, not in the squad uh, against Burnley. So they're clearly having to manage him. Now, we know he's picked up a little bit of a, a, a knock. Hamstring, isn't it? Another hamstring. These hamstrings. Minor hamstring, yeah. See, look, happens to the best of us, you know. Yeah. It's catching. Um, but that aside, I mean, they would have to manage him anyway to make sure you can get through all these games. Now, he's going to be one to play against... PSG want to play some role. Do you think he's going to be there in the squad on Wednesday? 
well, it's it's so hard because we're playing a game of Eddie Howe roulette and we spoke to him on Saturday. Um, we saw Wilson arrive at the stadium. We thought, oh, okay, maybe he's involved. I heard that he was stuck in traffic, but he got there eventually. But then he goes through the main door, which he does often. You think, okay, maybe he's still playing. Then we heard that he's not in the squad. Um, Eddie Howe, after the game, says that it's a minor hamstring strain. They don't think he'll be back for the international break, but that's the exact same language he used about Joe Linton, who started against Manchester City. So, stranger things have happened to see Callum Wilson in the squad, um, although Botman, he seemed a lot more a lot more convinced that it was after the international break. And I'm, I'm going to apologise to you, because the situation around Wilson leads me into the topic that you've banned me from talking about on this podcast about what Newcastle missed out on oh. in this summer window and need in the January. And I'm sorry, right, but we it, it, it's reared its ugly head again because we're sitting here. Isaac was not 100% against Burnley, right? He's played probably because they've gotten no options. He's just fit enough to get across to the line. You're then going to say it was, well, Anthony Gordon can play there. But Anthony Gordon at the moment is arguably the best left winger in the Premier League. You're not, you don't want the way, the same way you don't want to move Trippier off the right. You do not want to move Gordon off the left. That leads me to the conclusion, which I'd already concluded, Newcastle United needed a third out-and-out striker in the summer. They need one in January. And whether it's somehow bringing back Minter from Feyenoord and, and saying, right, you're going to get your chance. We've got enough games. If they're still in the Champions League by then, you know he's going to get options. If they're still in the League Cup, FA Cup's coming up, there will be options for him to play. Or whether they go out and sign... Uh, another one, and it, it's interesting. Mint as having such a good time in Holland because, actually, I think if he continues that, then they probably won't go and sign another one. But only if they can then, you know, bring him back. I don't know what the what the, the ins and out of the deals are, but they, they need a third striker. But who? But who comes in? Who? Do, do, who? Who is the third striker? Is it somebody who you're going to have a, a veteran, an experienced head who knows he's going to be third choice? It's not going to be many takers out there. Is it a youngster? If so, why would they do that when they've already got Kual and Minter out on loan? Yeah, so look, if it's an experienced head, I think they come knowing that they're third choice, but also knowing that there's no guarantee that Isaac and Wilson are going to be fit and available. We've seen it. We've seen it in recent weeks. You know, Just as the fixtures start really ramping up, we're then seeing them two picking up injuries, which is a real shame because... You know, we've got two top class strikers battling out for one position in the in the side. Either one of them could walk into, I want to say, any Premier League side in the in in, in the country. But you just can't guarantee they're going to be there and to be picked week in week out. They need to go and get a third striker. I just think it's very very unfortunate look that they've had Harvey Barnes, Callum Wilson, and and a slight knock to. Alexander Rizak in the first couple of weeks of the season. I don't think you could have predicted that in the summer. I think I just don't think it was a priority, and I still don't think it is. They've got Gordon to play there if they need to. Isaac's still fit. You don't want to take Gordon off the left. But you've got options if you do. I mean, he played him on the right the other week, and he looked absolutely fine. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, you don't want to put him up top, though. But why not? Because he's he's just a dynamite on the wings. Well, he was dynamite up front for England over the summer. I'm not having it. But he was, I'm though, wasn't he? It. You can't say he wasn't. He was... He was player of the tournament, the under-21s, as plain as an out-and-out strike. Premier League's different kettle of fish. Well, and when you're playing that good on the wings, you don't want you don't want to rip up the what's working. But I'm glad to see we won't uh, agree on that. So no, no third strike and journey no, for you. No, I, I think they're I think they're okay with what they've got. Thank you. Let's talk about five clean sheets 
in a row. Newcastle United are back. That's what they were built on last season, especially yeah. the first half of it. They're looking strong. We've already talked about building a unit in which anyone can slip into the back line. Yeah, you know, it's just great to see them continuing to rack up clean sheets. Yeah, it was needed, wasn't it? Because they went through that sort of a spell that nobody really noticed because it was across two seasons where they'd only kept something like two clean sheets in since February or something like that before this run of games. Um, as we've touched on, I think Nick Pope has overcome some you know, average performances at the start of the season. He looks a lot more assured. I think Trippi has stepped up his game in the last three games. I think um, fantastic in the San Siro, very, very good at Sheffield United in the last two games this week. It's been fantastic. The Cells has come in and done a job. Share, I mean somehow still plays every game despite, you know, being the walking wounded. And Dan Burns doing a job as well. So I think I think you go into PSG with no qualms about that back five for me. Yeah, um indeed. Roger says uh, another thought for him, can't trust Wilson's fitness sadly. Uh, Ricky says Murphy didn't provide any quality versus Milan. Um uh, uh, the mighty win makes a point uh, no coincidence Longstaff and, and Byrne are playing as a team or are, are doing well Roger backs his point up by saying Gordon has been on fire on left wing Graham asks for names for me about who I would buy in January I mean that is the million dollar question my first protocol would, would be try to bring Mincer back or uh, Kyol I don't know if that's, that's I, I assume they're not going to be able to do that and then the point would be well you only bring him back if he's guaranteed first team football I get that but I'm sure they've got a list of players, a, a, a book, a little black book of players that they could look at and, and potentially bring in, even just maybe on a short-term deal until Minter comes back in January. Um, yeah, and just a final word on just seeing the game out because I felt, as I've mentioned there, it was really professional the way they just passed it about. Obviously, no one was going to really gamble and get themselves injured. So they had to just, yeah, just pass it around nice and easy. No sweat broken. Yeah, but I, yeah... It it was, but just like I mentioned at the top of the show, I think when you saw how they managed to board it up against Liverpool, I think it was the you know very very good to see that they were actually you know in control on Saturday and there was no chance. Sign of a good team, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the, 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 the management being able to just snuff out a game, kill it, you know, give Burnley no hope of getting back into it. That's all you want. Uh, time for some trivia. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. You are grand. Right, so. Matches played in the Premier League stadiums. Okay, so Newcastle United have played many, many games at St James Park in the Premier League. I would have the exact number, but the number uh, that I got from the website mm-hmm. um, has St James's Park Stadium, has St James's Park, and the Sports Direct Arena. <laughs> and um, so I'm not going to add them all up. But you have the other stadiums they've played in. So, so there's just the stadiums Newcastle United have played, played in, in the Premier League more so than any other. Yes, in order. Okay. So I've got 15 okay. of them. So the top 15. So okay. just to be clear, Aaron is going to try and answer in order the top Premier League stadiums that Newcastle have played in in their history in the Premier League. Okay, well, we'll start with Old Trafford. Correct. Now, do you want to have a guess at the number? Before um, you do, think about it. Because I looked at this number and thought, that can't be right. But then I thought about it, and actually, it's a lot easier to work out the numbers than you think. It's going to be it's going to be mid-50s, I think. Is it, though? How long is it? Because they only play one. Uh, it's going to be... If I, oh, it's going to be 27, 28. 
28, 28 and you've got okay. four stadia on 28. Okay. Um, right, who hasn't moved stadium? Um, who hasn't been relegated? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So, uh, Anfield. Yeah. 28. 28. Uh, Goodison. Yep, 28. And then... Um, Another blue. Stamford Bridge. Stamford Bridge, 28. Okay. So, the next number is 26. Okay. Now, I think 26 is going to be Villa Park. Yep. And then you jump down. To what? 22. Um, it's weird because you've got to think of teams that haven't changed stadium because Arsenal, Tottenham have all changed stadium. City have changed stadium. Um, West Ham have changed the stadium. 22, so it's going to be... This is, I'm assuming, a team that hasn't changed stadium. Um, I've given you enough clues, but I'll shake my head at that one and tell you that they, they, this club has changed it. Oh, they have changed yeah. stadium. Um, we'll go the Yeti had. No, that's not in the top 15. I mean, they oh. moved there 2003 after the Commonwealth Games, wasn't it? So. Yeah. So, no, you are way out there. Okay. Um, Think about a new stadium that's only just recently opened and then... Oh, uh, White Hot Lane. White Hot Lane, 22. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, in that case, Upton Park. Yes, 19, yeah. but there's one team also on 19, or one stadium also on 19. This is a stadium that is known for its home uh, crowd. Southhurst Park. Southhurst Park, there you go. What a performance, by the way, ladies and gents. And I'm enjoying this. This is a very good trip. Roy Hodgson and Crystal Palace on Saturday. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to me. <laughs> I mean, not yet. We'll see how we get on. I mean, I've given you more, than enough, very, very good more than enough clues. Yeah, I mean, I'd absolutely <laughs> love to see Roy Hodgson performing uh, fantastically for Crystal Palace and beating Manchester United. There's something very nice about that. Um, next, you've got 16 games here. This, this, this stadia, including heartbreak in the 95-96 season. By a certain Graham Fenton. Aaron wasn't born. Exactly. Don't know that one. Ewood Park. Ewood Park. Oh, of course. Good Blackburn. And then 15. London Stadium. A London Stadium. Um, 15. Would that be the Emirates? It is the Emirates. Yeah. That's 15. Then we head up the A1 to Yorkshire. Allen Road. Yeah, 14. Sorry then we head down the A1 just from Newcastle. A short distance across. Well, not across the water. I mean, you could go across the water, but you'd, you know, past the Angel, up the Bose Incline. Um, stadium of Light. Yeah, 13 Premier League games at the Stadium of Light. And then um, another one close to home. Riverside. 13. And the final one on 13 games I'm not going to give you any clues because I've given you enough clues to get you through this and you're going to claim victory or some sort of brilliant performance here when actually I've well, pretty I much given you the answers. You haven't really. You've just given us the number of them, really. So this club's already had a, a stadium within the list, is the clue. Um, it's now Flats. Done a really good job, actually. Highbury. 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 So there we go, ladies and gents. That is the list. Enjoy that one. Of the Premier League stadiums in which Newcastle United have visited in the history of the Premier League. 
uh, matches played. So Old Trafford, Stamford Bridge, Goodison Park, Anfield on 28, Villa Park 26, White Hart Lane 22, Selhurst Park, Upton Park 19, uh, Ewood Park 16, Emirates Stadium 15, Ellen Road 14, Stadium Light 13, Riverside 13 and the Highbury Stadium 13. Do you want to have a guess, just finally, how many games Transfer Market reckons Newcastle played at the Sports Direct Arena? How many games they played at the sport when it was called the Sports Direct Arena? How many how many seasons was it called that? Two? Was it two? one? One bit maybe? I'll go I'll go one, I'll go twenty. Seventeen okay, transfer okay. market. Thought it would be more than that. So there we have it, ladies and gents. This has been the Everything is Black and White podcast for myself and Alan. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow with John Gibson to look ahead to the game against PSG on Wednesday. And myself and Aaron, I think we'll be back later in the week. Shall we make a, put one in the diary for later? Yeah, we can do one post-PSG. Yeah, can't I we? think so. Hopefully celebrating three points. So that'll be the Monday show on a Thursday. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> so get that in your diaries, ladies and gents. Thank you very much for tuning in. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk. Head over to our YouTube channel as well. There's some great content coming over the next couple of days, if I do say so myself, building up to the PSG game. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy the rest. of And hit that follow button as well on the podcast uh, platform you're listening to and leave us a rating and review. And we'll catch you later in the week. Mm-hmm.